This week I became interested in knowing a little more about Herbert Lom. You probably haven't heard of him, uh, at least by that name. He is best known as, as Chief Inspector Charles Dreyfus in the Pink Panther movies. Well, I watched a Pink Panther movie and I, I was curious about him, so I looked him up online and what I discovered is, among other things, that he is on uh, the death list for 2012. Yes, you heard me correctly, the death list. Now, you may not have heard of that. I had never heard of it, but you know, the Brits invent a lot of things. And every year they put down on a list, I don't know who they are, but uh, the people responsible for this, they put down on a list uh, for the year, people that they think will die, people who are famous and have reached some notoriety in life or greatness or stature in life. And so uh, there are a whole list of names on that uh, there. I think this year there are about 50 uh, such people on the list as Harper Lee, the author of uh, to, to Kill a Mockingbird. She is 86. And uh, Kirk Douglas is on there. I guess they expect him to die. He is 96. Billy Graham is on the list. Muhammad Ali, though he's 70, but he's been uh, debilitated greatly by uh, Parkinson's disease as Steve Hawking, uh, the famous physicist and mathematician, is also on the list. Now, their, their predictions are not great. About half of these people, of course, will live another year. Uh, or longer. Only the famous make the list. But of course, uh, when you mention things like this, we know that we all are on the list of heaven. And uh, it's not just the famous, it's all of us that are on that list. And I'm uh, speaking today about Abraham. He was on the list at one time. Uh, I don't know when it was, uh, back in the the uh, second century, at least, uh, maybe four, nearly 4,000 years ago, Abraham was on that list. And I like the way the Bible describes him. Uh, in the year in which he died, it was at a good old age, an old man full of years. And then his uh, two most famous sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre, about 20 miles south of Jerusalem. And so Abraham was buried there. When uh, Abraham died, he was pretty well off, as most of the people on that list that I read. They, they will leave some things behind. Pretty well off. But believe it or not, even though Abraham is famous today, he was not famous when he died. For sure, his name would become great. Among the three most influential religions in the world, uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, he is uh, a man with great stature in all three, for sure. Now, his name would become great, and it has become great, uh, but when he died, he was not great. 
fairly prosperous, but not great. In fact, he was promised the land. But when he died, as far as I know, he only owned a cave. I'm sure it was a pretty nice cave, but it was his burial place along with his life, uh, with his wife. Today, I want to look at the man Abraham and his role in the history of salvation. As a man who is held out in the scripture as a man of faith, we can learn a great deal about what it means to trust in God through looking at the life of Abraham. Abraham is quoted in the New Testament, or at least as an example, on several occasions. He's held up as a model, a paragon of what it means to trust in God. Thus, I want to focus on the faith that moved him, that moved him to go from a, a rather obscure, at least as far as the biblical picture is concerned, obscure place called Ur, and then he traveled to Haran, and then finally down into the vicinity of Jerusalem. He probably traveled in that journey about a th thousand miles. Let's look at how it begins in chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. Leave your people, and I will take you to another country. Now, I'm curious about Abraham. First of all, I don't know how he came to know the Lord, but he did. But apparently that's not all that important. And let me say that it probably isn't all that important that uh, of the how you came to know the Lord or the when, but that you do know the Lord is of most importance. Abraham was a man who came somewhere in his life to trust the Lord. Now, it was not as Abraham, but as Abram. That was his name. And throughout this text, he is called Abram. His name is not yet changed. I'll probably call him Abraham throughout the entire sermon because that's the way we know him best. What this knowledge of God did was to lead him to trust God and his word. It led him to action. I want you to see the actions that he took. Trusting God in obedience is the most profound identity that you will ever have and it will define your life more than anything else. And so what happened to Abraham? Abraham was led to separate from his family, from his home country, and go to a place where yet he knew nothing about it. First of all, he starts down in a place called Ur. By the way, that is where civilization is supposed to have actually begun. The earliest civilization that we know of took place in this region, the Sumerians. I can remember as a senior in high school studying ancient civilizations, and they said that civilization began in Sumer and in Egypt, and probably Sumer a little earlier. Now, it doesn't mean they're the first people. It means that they developed things like writing later on and sophisticated communication and living together and cities. And these civilizations are older than even India or China. And so Abraham was part of that ancient civilization and God had him to move out. And he started going north. 
Now, he was not a man who came into wealth uh, late in life. He apparently had some early on. And uh, he is, though, not a young man at this point. He is 75 years of age, and God calls him, and he leaves with his wife and his brother's son named Lot, and servants, and cattle, and sheep, and heads north. And he follows what is called the Fertile Crescent all the way up to Haran, about uh, 600 miles north. It must have taken a long time to travel with all of that. I can remember one time being in Washington, D.C., and, and, and it was in a big crowd, and someone came busting through the crowd, and the, just like the seas were parting, it was Don King, the boxing promoter, and he had a huge retinue of people following him. And when he walked through, we all just parted because he meant to make his presence known. And I suppose if we'd have stood there, we'd have been run over by he and his crowd. I can just imagine Abraham moving along the Fertile Crescent North, how difficult it was. A very big crowd. And he wasn't moving like Don King. He had to tend sheep and cattle and everything else. And he finally gets to Haran. And then he turns south again along this fertile part of the coast down by the Mediterranean. And he goes past Damascus and finally gets into the land of Shechem. Uh, that is just north of Jerusalem. Abraham then left with these things. And Lot is mentioned and Sarai are mentioned because they are important later on in the story. Now, what made him go? What made him go? It was his trust and faith in God. He is commended in the, in the book of Hebrews for his faith in God. Here is a man who trusts the Lord. Let me say something about your faith in Christ. It will take you places you have no idea, particularly if you're young. You have no idea where you will end up or where you will go if you indeed are trusting the Lord for he has a wonderful and marvelous path for your life. And in his providence, he will lead you and direct you many and various places. But wherever you go, you will be in the right place and you will be serving him. And that's where you are supposed to be. It is God's leading and direction. I think of a number of these missionaries that we have had in recent years to visit and how God worked and changed their lives at one point, too, they said yes uh, to the Lord and his will, and it took them to far-flung places. Abraham became a great man, but not in his lifetime. Well, he could have been great during his lifetime, but it was not recognized. I want you, though, to know something about this text. Everything that you see in chapter 12 has as its background the first 11 chapters of the Bible. And what is taking place in Abraham is in contrast to everything that went before. So I'm going to draw on that in a couple of places in a second. But remember what happened before. Last week I preached on Cain and Abel and the mark of Cain and his murder of his brother. I could have started with Adam and Eve or I could have talked about Lamech who has a parallel life in some ways to Cain. I could have talked about the great flood in the time of Noah. 
I could have preached on the Tower of Babel at Babylon, but I didn't. But make no mistake, all of that, all of that serves as a background for what you find in the life of Abraham. What do you have in the first 11 chapters? You have a series of stories that speak of the rebellion and rejection of the goodness and grace of God. And therefore, we reach this point in the Sychar Plain in Mesopotamia where a new civilization is trying to form itself. But this civilization is different. It is built upon the rejection of God and the ascent to heaven on their own. It is a rejection of the God of the Bible. And I want you to look at verse 4, if you would, of chapter 11. There is an interesting contrast here with what we find with respect to Abraham. Then they said, these who built the Tower of Babel, come, let us build ourselves a city or a civilization, a society, with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Now notice what they're doing. I want to make my own name, establish myself. But this is not in doing the will of God. It is rejecting the will of God. I will be on my own. I will do it myself. We do not want the will of God to be the ruling factor in our lives so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And so what happens? The Lord had said to Abram in chapter 12, verse 1, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. And notice what he says. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Abraham is trusting the will of God. He is following the voice of God. And God says, I will make your name great, not like those who tried to build the tower of Babel at Babylon. That society wanted to establish itself independent of God. You know, there is a marvelous application here. There's a marvelous application, and it's to all of us. Uh, one should never really ever seek fame. One, in some sense, should never really ever seek greatness. Now, I want you to listen to me carefully. I never said you should not seek greatness as such. But greatness itself is a byproduct. It is not something that you seek for yourself. One should not then seek fame or even greatness. One is to seek to do the will of God. Because notice, if you ever get any in life, and greatness, if you ever achieved it, are things that are the byproduct of you doing the will of God. Any greatness or fame that you achieve apart from that is like shifting sand. How many in our modern life have discovered that to be so? 
I not only looked at the death list and how we all go that way, the way of all flesh, but think of the names that you heard about that were prominent in 2007 and 2008 and 2009, and now we hardly know of them. Many who simply sought greatness and notice on their own. You know, you can get noticed if you want to. You could do something to get into papers or on TV. But a lot of what we see is kind of pathetic, isn't it? But if you seek the will of God and he should make you great or bring notice to you, that is a byproduct and that will be a blessing to others and not just simply self-gratification. The word of the Lord to you then is to be faithful to him. If you make the will of God your business, the rest will take care of itself. Now, the question is, Abraham was a man who followed God and trusted him, but that has to be renewed over and over and over again. Have you ever grown kind of slack in your commitment? Of course you have. What about your heart's desire and your love for Christ and the love for the church and the things of the Lord? Do you ever sometimes find your heart cold and even indifferent? Surely Abraham experienced the same thing. The walk that we have with the Lord when we trust him goes up and goes down. But there is a way, and Abraham understood the secret of renewing that vitality that you have with the Lord. How do you make then and maintain a life vision of doing the will of the Lord? It must be maintained uh, after having it initially. I'm sure that when Abraham first heard about God's command for him to go and leave his folk, that scared him to death. How can I possibly do this? You're asking me to break relations with my family, my kin, and the soil that I grew up on. How can I ever do this? Look at how much I've got to take with me. Maybe it would have been a lot easier if he would just were to strike out on his own. But he has a lot of responsibility. How is he going to do this? And I'm sure that everywhere along the line, he was thinking, this is a, this is a difficult thing. Don't you think he was tempted to turn back? Surely he was. But Abraham knew something that we must never forget when we learn it. And that is that our vision of the will of the Lord can be maintained. And to maintain it, you must worship. Did you notice? Did you notice that two places he stopped and built an altar and he worshiped God? Lots of things are taking place when you see a text like that. First of all, his, his worship is external. He's not hiding it in a corner or a bush, uh, under a bushel basket. His worship is external. Don't you think the pagan Canaanites saw him doing that? And there in two places he built an altar. He first came to Shechem, where there was a holy tree. It was an ancient shrine, and he built an altar to the Lord, and he called upon the name of the Lord. What was he doing? He was renewing his vision of trust in the Lord. That's what worship is. It is a renewal ceremony. Every time you meet for worship here, you are renewing your commitment to Christ. People who do not come into the presence of God and worship his holy name are not renewing 
their faith over and over in Christ. They go together. He travels on further south, and he comes to a place in the hill country. There is a ridge on the map that I can see that runs all the way from Shechem to down below Jerusalem, and he seems to be traveling along that ridge. And as he goes south, he, he, he sees uh, a city on his right. I think it's Bethel. And to the east, it's Ai. And he stops between those two communities and he builds another altar and he worships the Lord again and he calls upon the name of the Lord. Here is a man who is renewing himself through worship. Why do you think the apostle says in the book of Hebrews, whomever wrote the book of Hebrews, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Because if you seek the Lord's face, you will find him and you will be renewed. But if you forget to do those things, the people who are not assembling are falling away. Abraham was a man who truly walked with God, not just initially, but all his life. And that was renewed through worship. There's another thing you should notice here. And it's the final point. Abraham became the means of extending God's blessing to others. I said that this passage of Scripture must be contrasted with everything that went before. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, you have what is called the cultural mandate. In the cultural mandate, after God created man and woman, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. By the way, it is a holy thing to have children. It is a holy thing to have children. A wonderful thing. Do you know how many times the fruit of the womb is commended in the scriptures? But from the very beginning, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I will give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth. And it continues. But it says that God blessed them. It was God's blessing that would enable them to be faithful to him and to his commands. Be fruitful and multiply. When the great Jewish philosopher in the Middle Ages, Moses Maimonides, was going through the Bible... He had a goal in mind when he was reading the Torah. And what he was doing, he wanted to discover how many commands there were in the Bible. Because after all, if you study Torah, you're interested in commands or these instructions. And so as he went through the Bible, the entire Old Testament... He discovered that there are 613 actual commands, not just 10. 613 actual commands. And he says the first one is Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Be fruitful and multiply. But notice that first command is rooted deeply in God's blessings. Without God's blessings, we cannot continue to carry out his will. 
And from Genesis 1.28 on, it is a sorry tale of rejecting the will and goodness of God. So much so that God sends great judgment in the time of Noah and great judgment in the time of the building of the Tower of Babel at Babylon. Then he looks down and he selects one human being who trusts in him to renew that blessing. What you find in chapter 12 is actually a renewal, if you will, of that original blessing that was forfeited by our first parents. It is through Abraham that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Through Abraham. It is mentioned in the book of Acts that it will be through the Jewish people. It is mentioned in the book of Galatians that it will be through the Gentiles. That covers about everyone, doesn't it? But the great blessing of Abraham finally is fulfilled in one individual person. When, when this came to him to go, Sarai was barren. She had no children. You know how she struggled to have children. She finally had a son named Isaac. And it is through Isaac that this blessing was passed on. But the greater son, which would bless all people, is finally Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do you realize how important Jesus is in the world's history? You've heard me invoke this before, but the great historian, Yourself Pelagan, who died a few years ago, starts out his book on Jesus. And he says, what if there was a, a tremendous electromagnet to drop down out of heaven and pick up every scrap on earth that has the name Jesus attached to it or that something was done in his name or is associated with him, and you would just remove it all, what would be left? What would be left? You would not have the great art we have. Most of it all is religiously inspired. You would not have the great music that the world comes to these western shores to study. You would not have the great eleemosynary institutions, that is, institutions of mercies, hospital, uh, many of, of these institutions that reach out. Where does the world go to in a time of disaster? You would not have the great scientific advances. I've been reading something of the life of Isaac uh, Newton. Everything he ever did, he thought he was doing to the glory of God. He says, I was like a child playing on the beach with the whole world out there to discover. But he believed that it was God's world. And he was just thinking God's thoughts after God. Oh, my friend, when God commands you to go, you don't know what the end product will be. But go we must and follow the Lord and trust in his word. Billy Graham is on that list that I mentioned. I have been warmed of heart through my life by listening to his sermons. It's a simple message. 
He simply is telling you of the love of God. But where would this country be without the ministry of Billy Graham? Think of it. Think of it. It's an amazing truth. If you trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding, he will direct your path. And that is doing the will of the Lord. That is good. And you will be a blessing to others as well. Amen.